Hey, good to see you guys up here tonight. Man, it is, uh, it is fun to be here if I can get my mic on and working. Um, you know, we are in the last week here of our Hot Topic series, and we uh, have been talking over the last few weeks about just some a variety of topics that we feel like, you know, obviously are topics college students talk about, think about. This sort of thing we covered, had a Theology of Sex panel up here, Father Stephen the Newman Center, some others. Uh, we had, uh, we had a, a week on suicide depression. Last week, David on social media. Tonight, uh, a topic, and we thought, you know, we're heading into spring break, probably not the, the worst time to cover this topic, the topic of alcohol. Uh, it's obviously a topic that's talked about. It is, I will say for me, uh, it's a very personal topic. Um, both of my brothers died due to addiction issues. Uh, I grew up, my parents split up when I was four because my dad uh, was a multi-decade alcoholic and finally that alcoholism, that kind of functional, the family could kind of work alcoholism started to turn violent uh, towards my mom and, and various things and she just was like, we, I, I've got to get out of here. And so it's a, it's a super personal topic for me. My choice personally because of my, my history, my family's history with alcohol is I, I totally abstain. Uh, I just, I just don't, and I'll, I'll touch on some of the reasons why I, I just don't drink at all. Uh, CSF, uh, some of you may know, a lot of you may know, uh, that's that's not what CSF's policy is, and that's actually changed during my time here. When I actually first started here, CSF's overall policy was if you're a staff member or you're a student leader here, then you were expected to totally abstain. And along with the the board members at CSF, we began to pray and to talk and have this conversation to say, you know what, if the Bible doesn't condemn this outright and say that this is an absolute sin. Then should we say, man, you should never do this? Should we maybe start to think about this in some more nuanced ways and ask questions? And so, um, even though my my personal uh, my personal history and my my probably some of my makeup says, man, it's probably not wise for me to partake in this. I actually led uh, you know kind of the the conversations in changing what some of the expectations were regarding alcohol with CSF. Um, there are at least two reasons I think we should talk about this tonight uh, with with alcohol. The first reason I think we should talk about alcohol is that the Bible talks about it. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of passages that speak to alcohol in the Bible. And because the Bible talks about it, and, and we want to be biblically informed, we want the Bible you know, just soaking in our mind and hearts, we want to talk about those things. And so because it's a major topic in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, throughout, we ought to talk about it. The second reason I think it's so important to talk about is so much, and, and this is my 17th school year here on campus, so much of the carnage that I've seen in my time, and, and you all know about on campus, Campus. Uh, certainly not all of the damage that happens on campus, but there is a lot of damage that happens on campus that's connected to alcohol. And I think so. I think it's important for us to talk about when you think about you know uh, students who uh, you know with with alcohol issues that are out there, sexual assault, um, drunken driving, hazing. Uh, you know, on and on we could go about some of the dangers that happen on a college campus with alcohol. And it's not just college campuses. I mean, it goes on beyond into the rest of life that I think it's important for us to talk about. And there, we could talk about a lot of different things. One of the stats I thought was interesting is actually a UK professor here who pointed this out to me years ago. Uh, he used to run the alcohol lab. There was an alcohol lab. There, is there still an alcohol lab here on campus? Well, this guy used alcoholism and got fired from being a professor here. Um, but uh, nice guy. I really liked him. Uh, but, but he, before he got fired, he pointed out to me, he said, you know, that somewhere between different studies will show different things, but somewhere between like 60 to 90%, as I said, different studies will show different things, 60 to 90% of spousal abuse in America 
is connected to there's alcohol involved in those things. And so it is this thing, whether it's on the college campus or beyond, that there is a lot of damage. It is a great gift that God gives for some people to possibly use and enjoy, but it does, it's a gift that when it's mishandled, it causes so much pain and damage. Now, I could stand up here tonight and I could tell you that uh, just two quick things. One, drinking isn't a sin. It's not. The Bible doesn't teach that, that having a drink is a sin. But I also think that the Bible is clear that drunkenness is a sin. When you give yourself over to alcohol, when you consume too much of it to where your mind is not working right, that is a sin. But tonight I want us, and I hope when you leave here tonight, you don't just think, oh, we talked about alcohol and, and that's it and, and fine, and I leave. I hope when you leave here tonight, you think, man, we talked about so much more than alcohol because alcohol is really just this launching pad into a bigger conversation. And that bigger conversation that I want us to start with before we dive into the particulars of alcohol, this bigger conversation is life. Jesus, you know, in that passage that, that uh, Andrew just read up here, uh, that John 10, 10 passage, uh, life is at the center of it. You know, Jesus says, you know, those words that he read, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's two ends that, that life goes towards. If you're living on this planet, you're going to one of two ends in a thousand different ways, but they're all headed in the same, one of the two directions. You're either, you're either headed towards life or you're headed towards death. Life, death, life, death. The decisions you are making and you're living with, the decisions that you're doing are either promoting life for yourself and others or they're, they're, they're creating destruction and, and ultimately chaos and death for you and for others. It's, it's one of two ways. And I want to suggest to you tonight that following Jesus that following Jesus in all of life, alcohol and anything else Jesus touches upon, that is the best way to life. When we follow Jesus, we get that life, life, and more life kind of life that he wants us to have. But if we go the other way and we say, Jesus, I think my culture knows a little bit more about this than you do. Or Jesus, I know what you want me to do. I know you're calling me in this direction, but I want to go here. Whenever we do that, whether it's about alcohol or anything else, we're headed down towards a death path. We're headed towards destruction. You know, I mean, it's so easy to see for me as a parent that God wants his children. God wants us to have life and have it to the full. As a dad, I love just the experiences I get to have with my kids. I love, you know, just this past Monday night, Claire and I went to a murder mystery dinner theater, which uh, the script was really bad and the play was horrible, but, uh, but Claire laughed the whole time. <laughs> we laughed. There was a lot of laughter in the murder mystery. Uh, but we had just a blast together. And then on the way home, uh, because she's a 14-year-old girl, we're singing Taylor Swift songs as loud as we can in the car. And, and I don't even know I don't even know a lot of the words to the songs, but I'm doing my best to keep up. And, and, uh, and we're just, just having a blast or, or going to Yosemite this, you know, or Yellowstone this past summer with my kids too, uh, passing baseball in the backyard, all the things we do, serving together, worshiping together, praying together. Like, I want my kids to have this great, huge life. And I'm a lousy dad. I mean, I'm probably not as bad as some, but, but compared to my heavenly father, I'm a lousy dad. And, and, you know, our Heavenly Father wants us to have this great, huge life. If your idea about Jesus, if your idea about Jesus is that he's a cosmic killjoy, he's just some stiff-necked religious figure who, you know, spills out, you know, moral platitudes and this sort of thing, if that's your vision of Jesus, 
that I just beg you to revisit who Jesus is. Weddings were, some of the, weddings were some of the biggest celebrations still in our own culture and certainly in the time of Jesus. You know, we kind of have a, a big wedding celebration. You go to a wedding, maybe there's a dinner afterwards, some dancing, this sort of thing. It's a few hours. Weddings in the days of Jesus would go on for days on end. They were these enormous celebrations, and Jesus was invited to weddings. He was invited to weddings, not because it's like, okay, yeah, we, we want him to go over there and teach and have some, you know, his teaching time and share his, you know, wisdom on this or that. It's because life just oozed out of Jesus. Jesus was just this person who people just bumped into him like, man, I want what he's having. Like, I want that. I want this life that he offers. And so, you know, when we come to Jesus, Jesus wants us to have life. He wants us to have, in fact, Jesus even says when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, I love the passage in Luke 14 where Jesus says, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven's like? It's like this huge party. It's like this great banquet. And there's going to be celebration upon celebration upon celebration. It is a party like you can't believe. Jesus wants us to have life. Now, to be clear, the vision that Jesus has, the version of living well according to Jesus, doesn't always, in fact, it doesn't often line up with what the world says, this is what the good life looks like. Because, you know, we're so often told in our culture that the good life is racking up money, racking up fame, self-centered experiences, sexual conquest, putting yourself at the center of attention. What The advice we hear all the time, right, is pursue whatever you want to do. Do what your heart desires. You've got to take care of yourself first. It's narcissism to the extreme. And Jesus comes along and he says, die to yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. But the kingdom irony, the kingdom irony is that when we do die to ourselves and we do say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to follow your path to life, not what the world says, because I suspect that actually behind that, that word that they're saying leads to life, actually, if I push through that a little further, I'm actually going to see death. And so, Jesus, I, I am going to deny myself. I'm going to deny what my world to follow you. And Jesus, when we do that, when we follow Jesus in that way, we do find life. But here's the thing. To live well, to live this life, life, and more life that Jesus offers us, to live life well, we have to live wisely. To live life well, we also have to live wisely. What do I mean by that? Let's revisit the first part of that Ephesians 5 passage that Andrew just read where it says, Ephesians 5.15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Again, to live fully, we've got to live wisely. You know, how many of you were given a car? I, you know, anybody get in the car, parents, grandparents, maybe you inherited, you know, I, I still have my granddad's uh, 88 Chevrolet truck. Uh, it's, it's at my house. It, it only has 73,000 miles on it, amazingly. Um, but, you know, if you, were given, if you were given a car, I'm sure, did anybody then, not long after that, your parents go, when's the last time you changed the oil? Does anybody get the oil change lecture from your parents? And are, are you taking care of it? Yeah, what's an oil change? Do we need to do that? Um, you know, if you, if you don't take care of your car well, it's not going to last very long. If you try to take your car out, you know, on a lake or something, it's just going to sink, right? If you don't take care of that car, it's not going to last well. If you don't use it wisely, 
I saw a couple summers ago, uh, the staff were out, all of us here were out, and we went out for a summer kind of, you know, just friendship bonding time. We were out on the lake. And Bree, any of y'all know Bree on our staff? Bree? Yeah, Bree. Um, <laughs> Bree had just gotten a brand new iPhone, whatever version of the iPhone was back then, iPhone 10, 11, somewhere in there. And, uh, and we were out in, the, out in the middle of this really deep lake, and Bree, very unwisely, uh, took her, her cell phone and her brand new cell phone, she'd only had for a few weeks, wrapped it up in a towel and set it right there on the, on the boat. And someone came along and, and kind of reflexively grabbed the towel. And as they grabbed the towel to kind of dry off, the cell phone goes flying into the water in the deepest part of the lake, and it's still there to this day, resting in peace, waiting for Jesus to come back, and maybe it'll rise with us. I don't know. But um, it's, it's there in the bottom of that lake. Bree probably didn't didn't live very wisely there in using that phone in a good way. And because of that, because of that, she, she wasn't able to, to celebrate that gift. She wasn't able to keep using that gift. The same applies to something like sex, alcohol. Sex is a great gift. God gives us these, this, so many different gifts in good ways. But when we don't use them in the right way, when we don't use them the way that God intended, we destroy them, we destroy the gift, we destroy ourselves, we destroy others. And so if we're going to live life well, it's going to take wisdom. It's going to take wisdom to use, enjoy, and celebrate the gifts that God's given us. And so when we approach the subject of alcohol, when we talk about alcohol, for, for some of us, you know, alcohol can be a part of our lives. And it can be something that actually adds to, and we see this in the scriptures, it adds to the, the celebratory, the, 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 the celebration of life. A glass of wine with, with a spouse or you know, with close friends or something can really add something to a given moment. But when we misuse it, it can lead to all kinds of destruction. And so we're going to have to live with a deep amount of wisdom. Some of the things I'm about to share here, and I want to encourage you, if this is a topic that you think, man, I, I just, I need to think through this some more. Um, we did a podcast uh, a couple of years ago. It's out there. It's on Spotify. It's Apple. It's, it's called Drinking and Thinking. Uh, and there's, there's, I think it's a four-part kind of short podcast series. I think all told, all four parts are like 57, 58 minutes. So in less than an hour, you can listen to the whole thing, all four parts. But we did this, and if you look up, there's a few Drinking and Thinking podcasts. So if you go UKCSF, Drinking and Thinking, it'll pop up on Spotify or Apple, where, wherever you listen to your... I'm more of a Spotify podcast person. Anybody else? Okay, good. Just I, I cannot navigate the 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 iTunes app. It just all the things get lost in there too easily. I just like the the, the Spotify. So there you go. I, I'm and I'm not getting paid for that. Um, but it, it is a really helpful podcast app. But uh, so there's more to be said than I'm going to say tonight, and there's more to be said than even that podcast. But the podcast does dive a little bit deeper. But I wanted to cover a few points tonight. Because that second part of that Ephesians passage that Andrew read earlier, let me just read the, the last few verses again for us. Therefore, because he says, remember, you know, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you go, what's the therefore? The, the therefore is there because he's saying, live wisely. Therefore, don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery and all kinds of other sins. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So how does this play out? Again, there's so much to say, so I'm gonna, but I'm going to try and speed through a few things to try to cover a few things. The first thing I want to hit, again, is that drinking is, uh, it can be, it is a gift from God. And when it's rightly used, it can be, add to celebrations. 
again, this is not my personal, I'm not up here saying this because it's like, oh, I want to excuse my own behavior. I want to be like, man, I really like to drink, so I'm going to tell other people I can. My personal conviction is that I don't drink, but I cannot make the case to you as, as easy as it would be and as much as I would love to make it to you in some ways that you too should never drink. That's just not what the Bible teaches you, and I want to be faithful to what the Scriptures teach, what Jesus teaches. Now, what I do think, though, and I said this earlier, is that the Bible is also very clear, and the Scripture talks about that drunkenness is a sin. But why? You know, it's sometimes you go, well, why is that a sin? I mean, I can get some other things in the Bible, like, uh, uh, you know, murder or something. I get, okay, that's bad. That's a sin. I get why murder is a sin. But why something like drunkenness? And it, it can be a really deep conversation with a lot of points, but let me just hit a couple points real quick. Jesus says, the two greatest commandments. You know, when he, he gets, they're trying to corner Jesus in a conversation one time, says, Jesus, what, what, you know, can you sum up the Bible for us? And Jesus said, I can sum it up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to, he said, all, all the wall and the problem, love people. And if you are going to love people well, it's going to take the use of your mind. It's going to take all of your faculties. If you're going to love people well, if you're going to love, uh, you know, the people in your life, you have to be in your right mind to do so. I saw a movie a while back. I won't mention which one. There were a couple of scenes where I'm like, okay, I need to close my eyes there. Fast forward this. Not, not too bad. But one of the scenes I did find kind of powerful in the movie was there, there was this group of, there were a group of high school students, and they were drinking, and they were, they were at a party together. And one of their friends needs help. And actually, one of their friends needs serious medical help. And, and was, it looked like it was going to die in this moment. But because all of them were inebriated in the, in the moment in this movie, they could not help their friend. Their friend needed help. And because they were, you know, their minds weren't engaged, they weren't able to get this person and, and, and get them the right kind of care they needed. And I would just say, if we're going to love people well, that is one of the reasons that we don't give ourselves over to drunkenness is because God wants us to always be on watch, to always be ready to say, man, is there someone tonight that might come across my path that needs me to love them? How can I love this person is, is one thing that I would say about why the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin. The other thing is that it just leads to a lot of really bad stuff, right? I, I saw a pastor as I was kind of putting some thoughts together and writing this message tonight. Another pastor, he said, uh, I, I used to drink before I became a Christian. And he said, I, I was so stupid. He was like, I was like a buck 35. And for some reason, I'd go out to these bars and I'd always wound up running my mouth off. He's like, alcohol just, you know, turned my tongue loose. And I'd shoot my mouth off of these 300 pound guys and always get the crap beat out of me. Um, he said, there's just something about my tongue and alcohol. And I would just start blabbering at the mouth and, and picking fights. And he said, now, even as a married pastor, He's like, I, I will because alcohol did, wasn't that destructive. There were some destructive moments, but he said, I can still have a drink uh, very occasionally with my wife when we're out to eat. But he said, even then, he was like, I, I still keep it to one at maximum two drinks. He said, I never, ever go beyond two drinks. He's like, <laughs> I thought his line was funny. He said, I offend my wife when I'm sober, much less when I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, I think that's true is a lot of damage. And we, and we don't step up the opportunity to love people. And so here's the thing. The Bible, drinking is this, one of these gray areas in the Bible. It's not clearly the case that no one should ever do it, but it's also not clearly the case that we should always do it. It's one of those difficult things where it's like it would be so much easier if God said, just, just don't do it at all, right? And then we'd know, okay, shouldn't do it. Or if God just said, listen, there's no problems. Just drink all you want whenever you want. There's no problems. Either of those options would be easier in some ways. But the difficult part where we're at is that we have to go, okay, God, how do I discern 
what to do here. And this is why I think it's so important. Uh, this is such an important conversation for you is because at, at this stage of life, it is so important for you to be developing what I would call wisdom muscles. Wisdom muscles. Because you are going to face countless situations in your life where you are going to need to exercise wisdom. Where, and when I say that, I mean there's not going to be a clear right and wrong of what to do. Like I just look at the Bible. It's like, you know, a clear right and wrong would be for me as a married man or, or for any, any person would be, okay, I don't sleep with someone who's not my spouse, right? That's just clear. That's 100% clear. It's easy. I don't have to ask any questions. I don't have to think, what about the situation? It's always wrong, and I know it. That's clear. But then there's other situations like, what, what about, uh, you know, I had, I've talked to friends about this. Hey, I've got a coworker that I work with. And man, I, I like them, and they're the opposite sex, and we're kind of in the same department at work. And, and, and you know, how, how do I relate to that person? Like, you know, I, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I should just totally ignore them and totally abstain from any kind of conversation with them. But at the same point, too, I, I feel like I need to have some, some care, and I need to exercise some wisdom here. And I, I remember a heartbreaking phone call from a friend of mine, and I, I still remember where I was sitting when he called, and he was on speakerphone, and his, his wife was sitting beside me in their home. They live in another state. And, and he called, and he said, hey, I need to just talk to you. You're a pastoral figure in my life. My wife wants me to call. She's sitting here. I crossed some lines with a coworker at work, and we had an affair. And now I'm in my marriage and, and, and live with this because what had happened was, as he shared that story, is, you know, they had some common interests and they began to talk and a friendship and, hey, let's go out and grab a bite after work and let's hang out. And again, nothing that started out is clearly like wrong, wrong, wrong that, you know, you shouldn't have common interests with coworkers or whatever. But he just, he drifted, he drifted and he drifted and he wound up, you know, uh, nearly destroying his marriage. Thankfully, by God's grace, they are still married many years later now and have been able to recover from that. But, um, so much of life, you are going to need to use wisdom muscles. If I put it in music terms, you might think of it like this. Uh, music, does anybody play music? Any instruments in here? I'm lousy. I've got a few musicians, obviously, up here. In music terms, you might think of clear right and wrong uh, that the Bible gives us, like the example that I used earlier with like, you know, adultery or something, always, always, always wrong. You might think of it as like sheet music, where somebody just puts sheet music in front of you, and it's very clear, like, okay, you play this note at this time, and, and the song will go okay. It's just very, very clear. This, then this, this is the way the song unfolds. The, the, you don't, you're not improving anything. But situations that require wisdom are a lot like any jazz fans. Anybody like jazz? Um, ja little, little jazz music? Yeah. Um, jazz, jazz is one of those things. Again, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a musician. But jazz is one of those things that where in the moment, depending on what's going on, depending on what maybe if you're in a jazz band, what other people are doing, there's, there's improvisation that happens. There's things that you go, okay, now in this situation, the drummer's starting to do this, so the saxophone player's going, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to riff in this way. That there's still good things and bad things within that. It's not like anything goes in a jazz, because you could go and go, that is really horrible jazz. They're trying to do good jazz, but it, they're doing a really lousy job. And, and so, so, again, for us, so many of the situations you're going to face in life, maybe it's going to be a business decision later on where somebody at work says, hey, let's cut some ethical corners. And you're going, gosh, it seems like something's off here. 
and, you, and you've got to really think deeply and carefully, and you've got to exercise wisdom. Or maybe it's, you know, with, you know, coworkers of the, of the opposite sex, and you're married, and you're going, okay, hey, I, I want to be friends with my coworkers, but I also want to honor my marriage, and how do I do these sorts of things? And so life is just going to present us again and again and again with situations where we're going to have to exercise wisdom. And so I hope with some of the questions I'm about to throw at you really quickly here, uh, I, I hope some of these questions about alcohol, some of them will apply to some broader things, but I hope they just give you a chance to say, man, this is what I need to be doing if I want to follow Jesus, if I want to live this big life that he's offering me. I need to learn to be wise. I need to learn to, to ask good questions. And so this is what I'd say. When you're thinking about alcohol, just a few of the things to think about, and I'm just going to blitz through seven or eight questions here. A first one I would just ask is, what's my own personal history with alcohol? What, what's my own personal history with alcohol? Have I had a period in my life where I abused alcohol? Um, and and should, that, should that maybe inform me uh, of how I should maybe relate to alcohol moving forward? Uh, maybe another related question is, what's my family's history with alcohol? You know, there's a lot of research, a lot of people who, who make arguments, and I, I'm not sure fully what to make of it, if I agree with it or not, but there is a lot of genetic stuff that people say plays into this, that if, if you have, uh, if you, have you know, uh, family members, I, I know for me, granddad, alcoholic, dad, alcoholic, uh, brothers, alcoholic, alcoholic, uh, you know, all, all this, and I'm like, okay, I don't know if I believe the arguments, maybe there's something to them on genetics, but I certainly don't want to tempt fate here, and I also know my own general personality, and again, for you, I, I can have a very addictive personality. Does anybody else kind of feel that? Like when you're into something, you're into it. Like I, I know if, if they put down one cookie, there's a plate of cookies. My wife's like, I put the cookies out for you and the kids. I'm like, well, I thought that plate of 16 cookies was all for me. Um, you know, that's why I'm right here. Um, I just, I know this about myself. I know that I have an addictive personality. And, and so I, I know that, you know, it's one thing if I ate too many cookies, that's, that's not great, but it's a whole other thing if I have too many beers and I can't stop at one, I can't stop at two, I can't stop at three or whatever it is. And so asking that question, what, what's my own? What, another question for you that's relevant for this audience is what age am I? What age am I? If you're under 21, I would just say as a believer that alcohol doesn't have a place in your life because the scripture teaches us that we are to, to obey the moral, the moral uh, commands that, that the law gives us in our country. Now, if there's, a, if there's an immoral command, something that, that violates our Christian conscience, then, then we're not bound as Christians to obey those laws. You know, if it says, hey, you should punch U of L fans in the face or whatever, um, that's, that becomes a, a new rule in our state. You might think that's a good thing. You might actually enjoy it, but you shouldn't do it as a follower of Jesus because that would not be loving U of L fans, I, even though I, I'm pretty sure God loves them. Um, you know, but you know, for most of you too, I, I just want to say, I, and I please, I even thought when I was when I was kind of working this, typing through this, and thinking through it, I was like, man, I hope I really don't offend people. But would you agree? So I'll ask you. I'll ask it as a question rather than a statement. Would you agree that probably of just a general you know, pool of people on our planet that 17, 18, 19-year-olds maybe don't always make the best decisions. Is that, is that, is that, is that offensive to ask? 20-year-olds, can I put them in there in that group too? I'd probably put 21, 22-year-olds in there as well. Um, so if you already struggle to make good decisions at points, adding alcohol in probably isn't going to help you, Right? Also at the level of, okay, besides that, uh, why should I, if I'm just, why, you know, if I'm a Christian, why can't I drink? And, uh, you know, I'm 19, I'm 20, I, I'm not going to get drunk. Why can't I have a beer? Another uh, item is brain development. Your brain is still developing until probably research says about 25. 
And so you've got time to, to fully mature, to fully, uh, over the course of a lifetime, to ask questions about alcohol. Another question you should ask is, where do I find my identity? Where do I find my identity? I think that is an enormous question for us to ask. Where do I find my identity? Do I like being known as someone who drinks? Do I, do I kind of want to be seen as that? Do I, do I find my identity? Do I kind of, you know, I, I've heard people say this before. They're like, I just kind of like myself better when I drink. I kind of loosen up. I kind of, I'm able. And it's like, man, if, if you need something outside of you to make you feel better about yourself, I, I just would, it really would give me some pause over whether in, in this season of your life, if you need to engage with alcohol. I remember seeing a guy one time at a bar. Uh, I was at a, I was picking up some, some food at a restaurant and, and, you know, usually pick up to go at the bar, and, and I was there, and I turn around, there's a guy, and he's got a couple of girls there and another friend, and, and they're talking, and somebody grabs their phone and says, hey, let's get a picture, and uh, the, the, the person with the camera's over there and, and getting ready to snap, snap the photo, and the guy's got, you know, it's kind of his arms around this t- the two girls there, and the person's getting ready to say, hey, three, two, and he goes, wait, wait, don't, don't, don't take the picture yet, and he stops, and he, he kind of backs up, and he goes to the table, and he grabs his beer, and he puts it in his hand, and he goes back to the exact same pose, with the girls. The exact same pose. The only thing he added, the only thing that was different was he had a beer in his hand. And I just thought, it just made me sad because I thought this guy's identity that he wants to put out there is connected to, oh, hey, I want people to know that I drink because there's, it just seemed to me there was just this insecurity. He couldn't have a photo with just two friends or, or whatever in that moment. He had to stop and have that beer. So again, asking questions is, do I find my identity? Do I want to be known as a drinker? Do I want to be known as somebody? Is that, does that kind of add something cool to my identity? Uh, another question, do I use drinking to cope? Do I use it to cope? In the Bible, you know, drinking is there for celebration, for life, for saying, hey, this adds something to the moment. Not that it takes away pain. Not that it takes away things. It's not there to be used as a medication. Another question, do I consider others when I consider drinking? Do I consider others? We live in this age of personal rights. It's all about me, me, me. What are my rights? What are my rights about? First Corinthians 9, Paul says, I've made a, myself a slave to all so that I can serve other people. And Paul's saying, you know, if I'm following Jesus and you need to follow Jesus, Paul in the scripture tells us, follow Jesus. Paul says, follow Jesus like I do. If we're going to follow Jesus like Paul, Paul said, I made, my slave, I made myself a slave to everyone. I consider other people when making personal decisions. First Corinthians 6, just a few, may be permissible. It may be permissible to have a drink in a, in the right, in a given setting, but not all things are beneficial. It's not always beneficial. Uh, again, Philippians 2, that beautiful passage that we have. It's actually probably one of the earliest songs that the early church sang. Philippians 2, you know, where Jesus talks about he laid down his rights. He didn't consider him his, his rights as God to be grasped. It says he laid down his rights. Jesus laid down his rights. Can I give you kind of a motto to use in, in your life in general as a follower of Jesus? That if you're always thinking about your rights, if you're always thinking about your rights, then you're wrong. If you're always thinking about your rights, then you're wrong. Because as followers of Jesus, we lay down our rights and we say, you know, God, I'm gonna lay this down. Yes, it might be okay for me to have a drink in a given situation. But because of some of the other people around me, maybe there's some people who are 19, 20 who can't partake of this with me, and maybe it's going to cause them to stumble and, and think, gosh, maybe I, I want to I be a part of this. I don't want to get left out. I mean, there's a thousand different scenarios, 10,000 different scenarios in which you might go, hey, you know what? 
it would be okay for me personally. My history, I've never abused it. I've never been drunk. My family's been good with it. But in this situation, it's not right for me. I live with a group of guys uh, just out of college uh, and a group of Christian guys and I never once saw any of these guys do anything abusive with alcohol. I, I, again, even in those days, I I just chose not to drink, but but the other roommates, they would occasionally have a beer and they kept some alcohol in the house. But I never one time saw them remotely, it never even crossed my mind that they were even up to the line. Like they would just kind of be like, hey, maybe a drink every, you know, once a month or once every, it was not an active thing. But one day I came home and I noticed they were at the sink, and they were dumping out their alcohol. They were pouring it down the sink. And, and as someone who didn't drink, I hadn't really thought about the scenario that was unfolding. I was like, wait, what are you guys doing? Why, why are you dumping out your alcohol? And they're like, well, Sam's moving in. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Sam's moving in. He's moving in here, here in a couple days. So, so what, what are you all doing? Sam, Sam had wrecked his life in college. Uh, due to alcohol abuse. In fact, even as a college student, he went through AA, went through Alcoholics Anonymous, because he was like, I'm an addict, I'm destroying my life, this has got a hold of me, it has to stop. And now, even decades later, uh, he, is, he still attends you know, AA meetings f- frequently to just say, hey, I've got to keep this in check, and has kept in check. But the, the, ama- the remarkable part that I thought was so amazing of those guys pouring that alcohol out is, Sam didn't ask him to do that. He, he didn't want to be like the guys, like, hey, can you, can, can you guys not drink around me for my sake? I've struggled with this. Those guys, it was their right to have a drink if they wanted to. But because of Sam and his struggles, they didn't want him laying in his bed at one o'clock in the morning going, you know what, I could just sneak down there and take a drink. No one will know. They laid down their rights because they had a friend. They had someone they realized this is not going to be good for them. A couple of last questions. Do I have others in my life that I'm accountable to? One of the greatest abilities you and I have, it's one of your greatest skills, you can put it on your resume if you want, is that we are self-deceivers. We are self-deceivers. We, we come up with all kinds of excuses for ourselves when we want to. And we can say all of our motives are pure and this, that, and the other area, but, but oftentimes we, we are deceiving ourselves. And so when you have someone else in your life, they help to give you a check to say, you know, you say your motives are good right now, but I'm sensing something kind of different. And, and it, you just invite accountability. You invite other Christians into your life to speak into that. Another question is, do I practice extended periods of abstinence? I do think it's important for something like alcohol that can uh, take a strong hold on us. We've seen this again and again and again. Do I take periods of abstinence? And I know multiple friends of mine who do this, where they go, uh, hey, you know what, I'm going to take, I've got a friend who we just entered Lent yesterday, Ash Wednesday yesterday. We're in the, the, the season of Lent, heading up to Easter. He takes Lent and he takes takes Advent, the, the few weeks kind of around Christmas time. He takes Lent and Advent, uh, and he says, I don't drink at all, because I want to take those, those several weeks, a couple different times of the year, where I, I'm just saying, God, I don't need this. I don't want this. Periods of my life where I, I, I've kind of felt it creep up on me a little bit, and I just had to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and he says, it's never been bad that someone else on the outside would look and go bad, but he said, I found myself coming home, and three, four, five nights a week after work going, I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to have a beer. And he said, so I just saw the creep kind of coming up. And he said, so I practice periods of abstinence throughout the week on a weekly basis and throughout the year in different ways. Uh, One of the last questions I'd ask you is, do I have good guardrails? 
Do you set guardrails for yourself in such a way that you're not just walking right up to the line with alcohol? I mean, you're not, you're not walking around with a breath. Of, what, what's what's uh, legally dr- drunk, 0.08? Is that, is that right, 0.08? You're not walking around with a breathalyzer. Okay, I blew a 0.07999. Give me one more shot. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're setting guardrails for yourself that, that give you room and space to say, I'm not just walking right up to the line. A friend of mine, some guardrails that he set, he encouraged his daughter. And as far as I know, she, she is uh, she's following them. He said, you know, honey, as you know, my wife and I, you know, your mom and I, we, we drink occasionally. You've seen us do that in the house. But he said, one of the guardrails I want to encourage you to have in your life uh, is, and, and he said, if you want to have a drink, you're welcome to. You can have a drink here, here at the house with us with dinner when, when they occasionally will have that. But he said, you know, I want to encourage you as one of the guardrails in your life is uh, to not drink until you're married. Because he said, I've just seen so many people where drinking leads. In the Bible, so many of the lists we see of sins in the Bible, and they're listed. Drunkenness is next, and there's sexual sin that soon after follows in those lists. And so he said, I just encourage you, honey, to, to, to not even just have alcohol apart. Not because alcohol is bad. Not because it's in and of itself a sin. But because of that wisdom piece of saying, it can lead to other things. I've heard other people say, if you do have a drink, don't go inside. You know, if you're out with somebody on a date or whatever, and you have a drink, then don't go inside. Like, just give them a nice handshake at the door, high five, a romantic high five at the door, and uh, be like, I'll see you, see you later. Um, you know, for our, for our staff, um, our staff here, we practice, and, and the, what we ask our student leaders here at CSF is, this is low, but it is a policy, so I want to make that distinction. Does that make sense? When I, when I say it's a, a policy we practice at CSF, it is a policy. It is not the policy. In other words, this is something we do, but plenty of other Christians practice, uh, you know, different policies with this. C.S. Lewis practiced, uh, named after Lewis House here, practices a different policy than we do uh, personally here. But what we do and what we ask our staff and our student leaders to do is we say, hey, if you have a one drinking moment a week, and by drinking moment, we say either one or two drinks, no more than two. But if you have one drinking moment a week and you're over 21, then okay, you know, if you can answer all these questions, you've got accountability in your life, you're talking to people, you're thinking through this, and you think this is okay, um, once, once a week, no more than two drinks in that one setting. But we recognize that sometimes there may be a second moment in a week. Oh, you know what? My, my parents came in from out of town, and, and, and you were going to... Then what we ask people to do then in that second moment, and I've got you know, a couple of staff guys, all the staff don't report to me. We've got just kind of groups, and we all kind of keep each other accountable in different ways. Um, a couple of the guys on staff will call me and just say, hey, you know what, uh, I've got a second moment coming up this week. He'll shoot a text. Is that, is that we, you know, and it's not even to ask my permission. It's not a permission thing. It's just say, hey, I just want to be accountable to that. And, and what I tell my guys usually, it's like, hey, um, if that's a once a month thing, and you've got a second opportunity in a month, and it seems to make sense it fits, then okay, fine, celebrate. It, you know, but, but if it's like, hey, every week we're getting into a second time, it's like, why, why is this becoming maybe a little more central than we feel like is necessary? Because we do want to model for campus. We do want to stay 100 miles back from being seen as abusing alcohol because we do want to be mindful of the witness of CSF. It's, it, and it is part of the reason that I don't drink because I, I do think it's part of just the witness of CSF to say, hey, you know, as a pastor here, I, I, I want to kind of model some things. Yes, there's personal reasons, but there's also just ministry-wide reasons. Lastly, the gospel and alcohol. You know, um, a lot of wisdom pieces we've covered tonight, but I also always want to bring back in just the heart of the gospel here in our conversations. That it's, 
And I want to just say to you, and I, and I suspect in a room like this with this many people, probably for a lot of us in here, there's been moments, there's been instances where you've gone too far with alcohol, where a lot of us in here have probably gone too far with alcohol. Maybe it led to a DUI that's on your earthly traffic record, but there's forgiveness. Maybe it led to some painful compromises with your body sexually, and you woke up to find yourself in a, a bed of regret. God can forgive and heal any of that. One of my most heartbreaking moments in my 17 years at CSF was a young girl, and this has been a decade or so back now. Gosh, she'd be uh, probably nearly 30 at this point. And she came to my office, and she said, uh, just a a freshman girl, and she said, I I went out this past weekend with some people, and I I just got really, really, really drunk. And I wound up having sex with a guy. I remember having sex with a guy. She said, I don't even know who the guy is. I, I, I don't even know how to track him down. We were in my dorm room. He left. I have some vague memories of it. Uh, she, she said, I remember kind of, you know, I know we get into a lot of consent issues there, but, but she did not feel like she was assaulted. She just said, hey, I, I got myself into a compromised situation. A few weeks later, uh, she turned up pregnant. And, uh, you know, she was really struggling with what to do in that situation. And we offered her all the help that we possibly could, all the support we possibly could, uh, anything she needed, even to the point where she talked about maybe having the baby, but uh, she just didn't feel like she was, she was in a position to be a mom. And, and we found a family that, that said they would cover all the medical bills and, uh, and they would adopt the child as well. And uh, just trying to help her in any way, shape, or form that we could. And uh, she regrettably made the decision to have an abortion. And after she had the abortion, she came back to my office a few days later, and we sat and talked. And, uh, and I told her, I said, uh, you know, heartbroken over what the past, you know, few weeks, the past couple of months have, have how they've, you know, the things that have happened. I'm so sorry. I'm so saddened for you. But I, but I also want you to know that, that I love you. And if my imperfect heart goes out to you, how much more does your heavenly Father love you? And that... Even though you are hurting now, you are forgiven. You know, if you approach the throne of grace in any sin, there is no sin that God looks at and goes, that one's too big. That one's too much. I can't forgive that. You are forgiven. You are loved. When you lay that before God, you are 100% forgiven. And the thing that really, really broke my heart as much as anything in that story that I just told you was that she stopped coming around CSF. She just felt like the shame was too much that she couldn't bear, and I think she later just left, uh, left school altogether. And I just want you to hear that whatever it is in your life, alcohol, uh, sexual mistakes that, le- that have, have you, you've maybe found yourself in because of that, that God can heal, that God can restore, that there is hope, that you can still have this life, life, and more life that God offers you that God wants you to have. And I want you to have that too. And I want you to live the great life that Jesus offers. And I want you to live it, dare I say, cheerfully. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, you give us so many good gifts in life. But yet we way too often uh, misuse those gifts. 
You intend them for our good. You intend them to add to life, but yet we misuse them, and uh, we wind up hurting ourselves. We hurt others, but yet, Jesus, uh, our hurt and our mistakes, as, as powerful as they are, as much damage as they do, there is no hurt, there is no mistake that you cannot undo that you cannot heal. And so, Jesus, I pray. I pray for people in here who feel like they have carried scars of whatever. I pray for people tonight in here that as they approach the conversation of alcohol, that's obviously a, a major topic on campus, a major reality, that they would look to you and say, Jesus, I, I want to start to trust you more than I have in the past, that the life you offer is better than what the world offers. And I want to follow you. I want to walk in the way of wisdom so that when I'm faced with things later in life, I can follow you joyfully and cheerfully in wisdom. And so, Jesus, I just pray. I pray you do your work in hearts and minds here tonight as we sing these last songs. I pray that all in your good and strong name. Amen.